Hello and welcome to Michael Rain's Outdoor Lives podcast. This is a podcast aimed at mountain leaders, mountaineering instructors, anybody really with an interest in the hills. We cover a whole range of topics. We cover people who work in different aspects of the upland environment. We talk to land managers, landowners, but we also talk to providers of courses. We talk to to botanists, to biologists, you name it. Um, We try and cover the widest possible range of interests that we can in the upland environment. And listen, if there's anybody who you would like us to talk to, and all you got to do is drop us a line and uh, we'll see if we can fix up an interview with that person. These podcasts come to you in two ways. They come to you on Spotify, which is free to air, and they will be on Spotify for around six months' time. They'll sit there so you can take your time and listen to them as and when you wish. Also, uh, they are on Patreon, and you can get the ad-free version on patreon.com forward slash Mike Rain. What's important about the Patreon version is they are immediately uploaded to Patreon. So whereas on Spotify, you have to wait for next week's episode to be released at weekly intervals on Patreon, you get the episode as soon as it's released without adverts. So uh, take a look at that. If you can't remember that address, then just go to my website, mycrane.co.uk. Very easy to find, mycrane.co.uk. Have a look at the workshops on there. Have a look at the books in the shop. Both my books have sale there. The Mountain Leader, A Practical Manual and The Nature of Snowdonia. Um, and, of course, I'm sure you found me on Facebook on Notes from the Hill. So, Facebook Notes from the Hill, mycrane.co.uk, patreon.com forward slash mycrane. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the Outdoor Lives podcast. My name is Mike Rain and I'm pleased you could join us today. My guest on this episode is Tom Carrick. Tom is the BMC Access and Conservation Officer for Wales. If you look in the past catalogue, I talked to Elvin Jones, who was his predecessor, so Tom has taken on that role. Uh, Tom's eminently qualified to work with climbers and people in the outdoors. He's an outdoor instructor, Climber, he's worked for NRW on the forestry side of things, and he's a fully qualified mountaineering and climbing instructor. So, uh, really looking forward to chat with Tom today. So, Tom, how are you today? Yeah, uh, I'm not too bad, thank you, Mike. Um, it's great to be on the on the podcast. And thank you. Having a chat with you. Um, we should start with what the job is. I know we talked to Elvin a few years ago, but I wonder if things have developed and changed. So, you know. What do you do? <laughs> uh, I think sometimes that's a very good question and sometimes <laughs> I ask myself that. Um, I think sometimes the easiest way of uh, explaining it is it's almost as a development officer for climbing. I mean, we get development officers for all other kinds of sports yeah. and climbing's just and, and, and hill walking is slightly more interesting in that we've got a huge sort of environmental and conservation side to it as well. Um, and I think that the, probably the big change... Um, since I took over the role is we've had a lot more of a, a look into into the education side and to how we've got all this fantastic access um, in England and Wales now and I think a big part of the, the role now is moving forward into not just looking at how we sort of firefight and protect uh, do 
the sort of immediate bits of that, but also looking into the future and how we continue to educate people so that we don't lose it into the future. Is that something you're aiming at BMC members in general, or are you working through outdoor instructors? How, how do you see that working? The difficult thing is, is that we feel like quite often we're preaching to the converted all the mm. time. So we've got all of our members um, who regularly get newsletters. They're, yep. um, they've got access to the website. They probably have a bit more um, access to things like Summit Magazine, Professional mm -hmm. Mountaineering Magazine. We've been trying to work closer now with mountain training. Um, so I occasionally work from Shepherd Cottage so that we can try and keep closer links with mountain training. That's Shepherd Cottage in Capelcurry, yeah. in North Wales. Yep. So they have obviously got huge links with all of the, the leaders, whether they're lowland, hill and moorland, yep. mountain leaders, and they're all a fantastic resource to be passing on the messages that we've got for the members of the public. I think there was a survey recently done that the average mountain leader talks to around 297 members of the public each wow. year. So that's a huge resource that I don't think is exploited fantastically yeah. yet into the messages that we want to put out for um, for access um, and environment issues. Yeah, so again, the mountain leaders are probably the converted, aren't they? So are you trying to support them with the messages they take away? Yeah. I mean, I sometimes talk to mountain leaders and the people that they're leading don't even know the countryside code. So, you know, how does the BMC messages fit into that sort of paradigm? So, yeah, it's exactly. And um, I've recently been on a couple of conferences with Mountain Training Cymru and England in passing what messages we think are important for mountain leaders to be passing on to the members of the public and which areas we think should be pa being passed on. Yeah. Um, the subject is obviously huge and we're... We, we're looking as much as possible now into how we find, I guess we're trying to talk to the people that we can't talk to. Yeah. And, and that's the hard thing it to really do. It really is, to. isn't it? Um, how, how, do you, how do you talk to the person who's sitting at a home somewhere in urban England who yeah. suddenly thinks, oh, do you know what? I'm going to go up a mountain this, yeah. this weekend. Pops into Google and says, oh, I want to climb a walk up a mountain yeah. in, in Arari and... The BMC are thinking about that, which is yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because who's, whose job is it to educate the people who are not climbers and hill loggers how to behave in Hurry? It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, if you've got an answer for me, I'd be happy to. to yeah, folks, to it. write in with your answer yeah. how we get these messages. It's a con constant conversation topic, which is how we get the answer yeah. there. But I do believe, like you say, the mountain leaders are a key, key aspect of that. And, um, and I talk to. I mean, one of the great things about my job is I get to talk to all the different organisations that we work with from National Park Authorities, National Trust, Natural Resources Wales, uh, and all the sort of other organisations. But they all have the same problem. Yeah. They all have their channels, their networks, which people <laughs> yeah. follow. You can imagine RSPB, they've got all the people who are interested in birds, yeah. are already listening yeah. to the messages that they're passing yeah. out. What they're trying to do is to try and find the ways of talking to the people who are taking their dogs for a walk on the moorlands and don't understand the impact that their dog will have on... Is that, uh, is that a part of your job then, working with or liaising with partnership groups? Working with and liaising with them is hugely important. I'm by no means an expert in hardly any of the topics that I work in. So <laughs> for me, a big part of it is to try and find the information that I need, talk to the experts yeah. and find out how we get that yeah. information to the relevant people. Um, 
and quite a lot of the time things that I deal a huge amount with sort of nesting bird restrictions and and again I, I fully have to rely on either volunteers within the organization yeah. or other bodies to, to BMC is blessed with some of the volunteers yeah. in this field uh, aren't we, we couldn't do what we yeah, do without yeah. all the volunteers that we have across the country so we'll probably come back to a bit more on the the job and what you're doing but what I'm also interested in is how you come to be doing this job. So, you know, who is Tom Carrick to have become the BMC's Access and Conservation Officer for Wales? Oh, blimey. How um, did you get the job? Where did you come from? Well, I mean, I haven't come from particularly far away. Um, I grew up in Dogastai, um and I've been lucky for most of my life. I've been quite Im interested in mostly hill walking to start with, um, mountain biking used to bike quite a lot with my dad down in Coida Brennan because we lived in Dogestown. Mm. Um, both my folks also worked for Natural Resources Wales and Forestry mm. in, in, in the past as well. Um, so I've always had a really good avenue into that. Yeah. Um, and initially I went into sort of wanting to do something in sports and my degrees have got nothing to do with conservation <laughs> or the job I do at the moment really. Um, but I, I really got into climbing and mountaineering through um, Cardiff University Mountaineering Club. Uh, so when I went to study, I joined joined the club, got absolutely hooked on into climbing. And yeah. for, for years, that was the only thing I really wanted to do. Um, I worked as through that. I went through sort of my mountain leader, my single pitch award as it was at the time. Um, and it sort of snowballed a little bit from there. Um, did my winter mountain leader, my, uh, my IML. Um, and then finally finished my uh, mountaineering climbing instructor in the middle of COVID. But um, obviously when COVID happened, I, I'd been thinking for a few years, I think, that I, need, I wanted to change out of instructing. Mm -hmm. um, but COVID, I think, gave me that little mm. bit of a kick out the door. And I think like a lot of people around this area, sort of a few of us panicked and went, well, actually being a freelancer, being self-employed around is yep. isn't particularly good and um, I mean I was in primary school when uh, foot and mouth hit but I'd imagine it had sort of had a fairly similar impact as well at the time um, and, and I was very lucky that I managed to find a job working for natural resources wells doing long-term forestry management plans oh, nice. or forest resource plans as yeah. they're called now um, and that gave me a really amazing insight into an industry that I, I'd sort of known a little bit about because both my, my dad worked in a similar role um, for many years but I'd spent a good part of 30 years ignoring everything my dad said <laughs> and then suddenly found myself having to pester yeah. him continuously then for yeah. a few months while I was preparing for an interview and I, I managed to get the job and you suddenly get um, you, you suddenly get given all this information about all the legal statuses planning statuses yeah. you, you look at the land in a completely different way to what you do as an instructor. For years, you'd spent the whole time looking at it. You sort of look at the mountains and you go, it's a beautiful place for recreation. Yeah. This is your freedom to go and climb, to walk, to paddle, whatever you do. Um, and then suddenly you're looking at it from an entirely different perspective, how you manage the land for, for not just from a commercial point of view, so did a lot of planning with around commercial forestry, but also into... Yeah sort of how you grow ancient woodlands and looking at the planning of which areas you plan for mm -hmm. ancient woodlands, riparian areas for natural flood prevention. Mm -hmm. So that suddenly gave me a really different insight. And then I, I did that for about two years. And then all of a sudden this, this job came up with the British Mountaineering Council. And 
I, I've very rarely looked at a job application and looked at it and thought, I actually tick every single box in this excellent, now. Excellent. Which is a very nice feeling to have. Yeah. Uh, it pretty much looks as, the same as your CV, it's great. Um, very good. And so I applied for the job. Um, I actually almost didn't apply for it to start with because I was actually on a climbing trip in Konya um, <laughs> at the time and I couldn't make the interview dates. And I, I did send them a message saying I'd, I've put my application in but I can't make the interview dates. Unfortunately, they did a, um, a remote uh, yeah. inter interview for me when I was out in Konya. So I don't know if that played helpful for it at the time with, with some beautiful mountains in the background yeah. on my screen. This is a... We'll have him. He's a king climber. Yeah. I'm sure the other candidates were as well, though. And it's um yeah I actually interviewed Elvin and that's I was involved oh, in right. that one before you so that's yeah. going back a bit and it's it's everybody knows Elvin and for I think I've been in the job now for just over a year and a half yeah. and it's taken that long first of all I think it's, it's one of those jobs we need to be known that you're doing the job yeah. because I, I I just get random emails now about <laughs> do you want to have a say in this do you want to have a say uh, in that yeah. and far more of that's coming through now yeah. Um, Whereas going into it, you sort of—I definitely felt I had a bit more time to think. What do I want to do? And now yeah. I'm going. Okay, I'm getting told. But <laughs> there's there's so much stuff coming up, and you, you just don't realise what you could get um, sort of drawn into. I always think it's funny when you start a new job and the first day in the office you sit down and you're like, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. It's even worse <laughs> that I don't work from an office, so I work, uh, from, I work from home on my own. When shall I start? Especially following El Alvin, you know, as you say, you know, work for the park and the trust yeah. and everybody, Ellie, and you, everybody. And been in the BMC yeah, for 12, 12 uh, so, years, so the so big, well big done. We'll, we'll be going for a break in a minute. I just want to ask you one question about Dog Athlete. Growing up, you went to secondary school in Dog Athlete. I did one year in secondary school, ah, okay. so I went to a school together for a year, yeah. and then we moved then to Welshpool. So okay, I did so the most of my secondary yeah. education in Welshpool. It's just, uh, I'm just thinking how apparent in school was the conservation world, the outdoor world, you know, where young people, being brought up in rural Wales, aware of the career opportunities? Do you know what? I, I, I don't think so at all. Um, I... I lost touch with a lot of the sort of original primary school mates and the friends I had in first year of high school when I was in a school of Gaddad. But then actually when I came back to university, a lot of them had gone because originally there was, you could stay in Wales, you got your tuition fees reducted. So a lot yeah. of people were staying yeah. in Wales. And so I ended up bumping back into a lot of the sort of students I'd gone to primary school with in university, oh, yeah. strangely enough. And, um, <laughs> um, and first of all, it was good insight that I was very pleased that we'd, we'd moved because I think my opportunities had been a lot more. But um, I'd say the majority of people go around that area are now either in things like forestry, agriculture, yeah. those sort of very sort of nature link jobs, but not, I mean, when you sort of look around the community of instructors and conservationists around this area, not a lot of them are local and very yeah. few of them speak Welsh, yeah. um, which is does put me in quite a small minority of people yeah yeah i, I think there's quite a few up here now but it uh I definitely in the outdoor sector it's yeah. very english dominated yeah. still isn't it uh, but it will change hey sorry folks we're just gonna go for a quick break and uh, we'll be back in a moment so tom works for the bmc british mountaineering council we usually just call it bmc rather than british mountaineering council it's the representative body for Climbers, mountaineers and hill walkers in England and Wales. It's had to set up a few extra 
posts due to devolution. So in Wales, you've now got Tom doing this job. You've got Evan Muse doing uh, a different job, a policy job down in Cardiff. But the BMC is really only as good as the volunteers. And if you've done a mountain training qualification, will have joined the BMC. You've not necessarily kept up your membership, but if you have, it's it's a surprisingly democratic organisation in that if you go along to your area meeting, and there are meetings in North, Mid and South Wales, as well as uh, several different regions in England, you go along to your meeting, then you, you, you get a say, you, you have a voice, and you can volunteer and, you know, you can become a an area chair or um, a representative on on the BMC's members council. You know, there's all sorts of ways you can help out. Yeah, they have had a difficult few years um, just getting used to having the Olympic climbing on board. That That's going to take a little bit of settling down. It's a very broad church, you know, from bouldering, indoor climbing, climbing, hill walking, you know. So it, it is difficult to, to please all the people all the time. But essentially, it, it's it's a pretty good, pretty well-meaning. It's got some great people working there. And, um, you know, to be honest, if you're climbing, hill walking, you've got to have a reason not to join the BMC. You shouldn't be saying you must join. Clearly, the access work they do is essential, but there's all sorts of other things like youth and training and competitions and technical technical equipment, that sort of thing. So it's, you know, it's, it's a multifaceted, volunteer-led, membership-led, representative body. Uh, and I would urge you to, to have a little look. If you find yourself saying they should do this, they should do that. Then you need to see what you can do, actually. Um, get involved and, and see if you can help out. Uh, the BMC, great. Back to the interview. Welcome back, folks. Uh, this is Mike Rain here, sitting with Tom Carrick, the BMC Access and Conservation Officer for Wales. Tom, you've been in the job 18 months now. Uh, people know who you are. Uh, they people beyond the BMC are, are talking to you and asking you things. So, what are you working on at the moment? What's what's the big drivers now? Um, so, locally here in uh, Aruri, one of the big things I've been working on is expanding the winter monitoring program. Um, so, some people might be aware that we we've, we've been doing this now for uh, about ten years since 2012, 2013 winter. Mm -hmm. um, and originally, um, Elvin helped set this up in. Cum Idwell and Cum Canavian, and yep. there's also two sites in the Lake District. Um, last year we did some upgrades to the equipment, um, which all went well. Um, unfortunately, the old system, the batteries didn't work. They, they sort of started running out, and the data that we were sending off wasn't brilliant. So we then looked this year at whether we should look at expanding it, and the, the whole program is looking at how we protect Arct Arctic alpines for our through winter. Um, and and again, this this is another one of those opportunities where I, I get to work with um, Robbie from Plant Life, and he's just a fantastic person to go out and talk to, and he is a fountain of so much knowledge. That's Robbie Blackhall Miles, and we did a podcast with Robbie a couple of episodes ago. So find out more about Robbie; he is quite special, isn't he? Yeah, he's a great person to go out with. Uh, very interesting to talk to, um, but it, it's for me. My my job is access and conservation, and this is. This is like a perfect mix of the, of the yeah. two things. So 
we want to go out winter climbing yeah. and we we want to go up in, into all these beautiful places and winter climbing is a special sport to go and do but we're also doing it in areas that are incredibly fragile from a conservation point of view so these arctic alpines we're on the we're talking about plants that only grow above certain altitudes and we're at the very low uh, level from the arctic where we can, where we get um, where we get these plants um, so that the whole idea is is that we we've got turf temperature sensors and they they go into the ground and they monitor how cold the turf is um, and we've got one at five centimeters so about the same as where a crampon front point would go into we've got one at 15 about the max depth you'd probably get an ice axe pick into we have got one all the way down at 30 centimeters as well and that's more just for, for research point of view just to see mm. how deep the, the, it's actually freezing that, that was the obvious question there is how yeah. deep does it freeze does it freeze that deep well last year so we, we updated all the equipment last year we looked at the temperature data in Kumkanivan and, and Idwell. It did not drop below freezing for the entire winter at all. Sorry. <laughs> the one at 30 centimetres? No, no the, the, surface, the five centimetre one didn't drop below. The five centimetre yeah, didn't drop. sensor? Yeah. All last winter? Yeah. How high is Kumkanivan? Uh, 850 metres. And it didn't drop below zero no. last winter? No. So, So what tends to happen, though, in... I mean, obviously, I mean that, that's a horrendous thing to hear from a, really from a global is. warming point of view and changing of the climate. But it's it's also an indication of what's happening with our winters. And I think one thing we forget about is we snow actually insulates the soil. Yeah. So we're getting big dumps of snow coming in, yeah. and then we're suddenly going right, great to go out climbing. But actually, all that does is it freezes, it insulates the turf. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you've been snow holing, but oh, they're actually yeah, yeah. the snow holes relatively warm because yeah. you're insulated from the yeah. outside world quite well. Gosh. Um, and so um, this data hopefully will give people live data. So if you're sitting somewhere somewhere away from the mountains where you can't see them, and you yeah. see some posts on Instagram, Facebook, because that's how we get most of our information yeah, at yeah, the moment, yeah. isn't it? You see that there's snow have a look at this information because yeah. this will actually tell you what the turf temperature is doing so if the turf is fully frozen we're we're unlikely to damage any of the the sort of hibernating yep. arctic alpines so we're not likely to pull out big tufts of soil yep. out from these ledges and um uh, that's where this data is really important so we want climbers to use it in the same way that you'd check the weather forecast mm -hmm. if you're going up to scotland you'd have a look at the, the scottish Avalanche information service and the same as you'd look at a guidebook yep. this should be part of every sort of winter climber sort of bit of information to i mean it's a dangerous sport it's it's definitely on the, the scarier end of things isn't it winter <laughs> climbing so i mean you can potentially be climbing something in the morning and it's falling down by the afternoon so um yeah. this will will make it safer because cli climbing uh, winter routes in better condition is, go is going to make it safer as well. I hope so, I hope so. But it is important to protect those plants. And yeah. Presumably, uh, you could actually be banned from climbing if you didn't take some measures like this. I mean, theoretically, you, you could be, yes. Yeah. I mean, who's going to police that? Is the, that? That's the difficult thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, we, it's when it comes to things like this, climbers have to take their own responsibility for yeah. it. You, you've got to be thinking... We we've got all this beautiful environment, and but we also want to protect it for future generations. And climbers have a good um, record of this, a good because uh, they've done it with the bird voluntary bird yeah. nesting bands for quite a few years, haven't they? So 
hopefully they're an audience that will will take notice yeah hopefully and and that's if if we didn't have things like the the regional access database which logs all of our yeah. bird restrictions i think we would see a lot more full-on restrictions on our crags where we enjoy yeah. so i mean we've, we're not far from places like gogarth here and i think if it wasn't for having that database there could just be outright bans on all those cliffs yeah definitely the is that regional access database app still running the rad most of the time yes yeah, it seems yeah. to be because that was get... an easy way for people to find things out yeah it? so if you go that there is a the rad app um and that should give you the the, the most up-to-date information but we between so there's myself in wales and we've got john forward in england and between the two of us we keep that up to date but there's well over five six seven hundred log entries in there <laughs> so it's a job just to keep up to date with it and that's sort of the, the i guess the firefighting part of our job is yeah every now and again we might and because of changing um climate nesting patterns are changing quite drastically at the moment birds are moving into different locations mm. we're getting population. is that something that's happening now yeah i think we're certainly seeing more yeah. of that and it's becoming harder to predict exactly where we're going to have birds um I, I wrote a little article about um seabird populations on the on the great orm yeah. um and Normally we have quite an extensive uh, ban across the across the diamond on uh, mm. the little lawn, yeah. um, because of kittiwakes. Yeah. But there wasn't a single kittiwake there this summer. Gosh. Um, so we, I mean, from from a conservation view uh, point of view, that was terrible. Yeah. But we did manage to lift the, the restriction earlier because, yeah. other, other than that, it's predominantly guillemots. Uh, and cormorants nesting on there, which which leave their nesting sites earlier than the kittiwakes do. Uh, I see. So you lift the banner. So we can lift it earlier yeah. than we normally yeah. would, but there was there yeah. was no kittiwakes on the on the crag. So. Um, oh so not, it's, you're it's, not bringing us a lot of good news, Tom. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> Temperatures okay. and seabirds. Oh dear. Although what? you know, people, we need to do better, don't yeah. we? But that's another subject. What what else you got going on at the moment? Well, so I guess the positive thing maybe is to talk about Sirhoi, which is a yeah. campaign we're running in South Wales at the Just moment. Just tell us where it is and what it's like. So Sirhoi is a little sandstone um, quarry uh, just north of Newport, um, just out of a little village called Wattsville. Um, and I mean, this this is my counterpart Eben talking. He, he knows the valley's crags much better than I do, but he he thinks it's probably in the top three sandstone sport climbing destinations in, wow. in, the, in the in the in the valleys um so it's a lovely little crag it's in a it's a nice little bit of woodland um woodland crag down there and the landowners have made us aware that it's potentially going to be coming up for sale mm -hmm. and what we wanted to do was to try and get as much local enthusiasm for for helping us to to raise the funds um, to, to purchase it. It's been made a little bit more complicated now that the, the landowners decided that they want to try and put it to auction, which makes it much more complicated for us to buy it, unfortunately. Mm. So we're currently in negotiations at the moment to see if they'll let us still put a bid in before it goes to auction. So yeah. it's going to be a bit of a watch this space. But we've had a huge amount of community support. Um, we've had, over, I think, close to 600 individual donations. Um, We've got um, Save Our Wild Isles double match funding at the moment, which, oh, yeah? is, um, which is an extra little bit of a, a bonus top-up for the, the community money that yeah. we've managed to gather together. We've also had great um, feedback, though, as well from a lot of other sort of just other random local organisations as oh, well. Okay. Um, so sort of like local communities, the... the um, 
we've actually got sort of a bit of a support from local football club, which yeah. sort of have nothing to do. Probably will never go climbing there, but still see it as a great opportunity to do something for the local community. Well, that's really interesting, yeah. Because what, what we want to do is we want to be able to buy the crag. At the moment, there's big signs up there saying no climbing. Mm. Um, it, is, it is climbed on. Um, but um, what we'd love, love to be able to do is to designate the whole land firstly as open access land under Crow. And then, um, and then it'd be lovely to have a bit of a take those signs down and put some better signs up saying "climbing welcome." Welcome, yes, how um, nice. And it's just for me, just it's uh, I think it's just a great opportunity for to give something to the local or to work with the local communities mm. around that area. Um, climbing in South Wales and particularly the South sort of East Wales Valleys areas is is becoming really popular. Mm. Um, bouldering, sport climbing. Probably track climbing a little bit less so, but they're all becoming, yeah, it's all building it. But it, it's also building with a lot of the other sort of sports that, um, maybe sort of semi urban sports like mountain biking, yeah, BMX riding, all that sort of stuff seems to be becoming really popular in yeah. that area. And I think it's great that we we should have a bit should of, be part of that, that's right, part yeah. of that um, amazing build up there. Uh, owning crags does come with some headaches, though, doesn't it? Is that something that would land on your plate? Would you have to manage? Manage yeah. crag? Do you, do you... I think it's probably worth the headaches. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there will be, I'm sure, issues there. Um, I mean, if if we are successful, one of my first big jobs will be to go through the designating it as open access land. Yep. Um, we want to then be able to safeguard that area then for for future. So yep. if the BMC went bankrupt and we had to sell the land or yep. in the future, that would make um, make sure that we could still. Um, keep climbing there yeah. as much as possible but um it, like i said it's it's in a woodland area that's going to come with with, with some tree management yeah. we probably want to do yeah. a bit of path building yeah. work um we'll have to take a lot more responsibility of the bolting on the crag as well mm -hmm. so we'll have to do a full survey and we'll have to put some not just money but also man hours into yeah. it but we rely heavily on on volunteer times and i've had we've had some great conversations with everybody who's really keen to chip in and help and whether it requires another crowdfunder afterwards to, yeah. to raise a bit more money for for things like the bolts um then that's potentially something we might have to yeah, do a but, good community down there yeah and of course you manage other crags so you manage um the traumatic crags yeah so we've got Bulkamorch. Um, so i mean that that was sort of i guess almost donated to us i think we've sort of Mm. Paid a sort of peppercorn mm. price for it at the yeah, time, yeah. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's been a huge amount of rockfall there over years, which I mean, that's becoming a little bit of a headache. Only, only a couple yeah. of weeks ago, Merlin Direct yeah. flake fell down, um, which is, uh, and we've had Shadrach, so there's also come down one step that's had a rockfall on it. So, all those sort of classic yeah. routes that we talk about are all falling down there. Some people are excited because it means new routing, but. It's from gonna, a, from a land happen. management point of view, it definitely sort of causes you a little yeah. bit of worry about it. Um, uh, and, the, and the other thing there is, um, I mean, ash dieback's quite prolific now everywhere. Is it really? We've got a lot of ash trees. Um, and it's something we need to work closer with them. Um, uh, there's definitely several crags. And when you get to the top of a, a trad climbing or trad climbing venue normally, you get to the top and if you see a tree, you're, you're overjoyed, aren't you? It's mm. a simple, quick yeah. anchor to make, isn't it? Yeah. But um, ash trees can sort of have catastrophic limb failing. Really, and Gosh. so it, it's actually we actually need to. We it's one of the things we need to shout more about is actually if you see an ash tree there, and it's not always 
super easy to identify an ash tree if you're not into your trees um yeah so um making sure that you're sort of aware that that could happen in an ash tree is, is definitely worth knowing about because you might yeah, think it it's is. your bomber anchor but it could be completely rotten or it could just fall off yeah that's, that is a bit worrying isn't it so yeah, all, a lot of headaches with uh, managing crags, and and that's on top of the sort of worry yeah. about around liability and things as well. Um, but but we've we've got a little. So the BMC has a, a the Land and Property Trust, and that is the or that that's the charity organisation within the BMC that actually will is is doing the negotiations and will eventually probably own the crag itself. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And the people that sit as the trustees and the advisor for that group are again all know much more about this than i do so yeah, they're yeah. the people that we go to for the, the the expert knowledge on the detail and looking into the liabilities how you manage yeah. these crags um or even how like at the moment how you approach the landowner and, and try and work out how to put a bid in on, oh. the, on the crag which is causing the problem at the moment interesting i mean it's amazing because most crags are privately owned aren't they yeah beyond by some random individual and yeah. Fortunately, we go skill climbing on them, don't we? Yeah, a lot of the time, and and uh, most of the time, until something goes, uh, until they notice that there's climbing on there, it normally is fairly straightforward. Yeah. Forwards, yeah. And, and we get a huge amount of private owners that are very pleased to see climbers on their side. Um, advantage just having climbers. Yeah, not necessarily there's advantages, but they're just happy to see climbers okay. on their side. Um, from a landowner, uh, we we always get the same question: is what are the liabilities? And yeah. As a climber and mountaineer, hillwalker, you you have to accept the responsibilities of your actions. That yeah. climbing is a dangerous sport, and you could have an accident. And even if you're not a member of the BMC, you still still have to take that accountability for for your actions. And from a landowner's point of view, unless it's a sort of man-made potentially a quarry, yeah. the landowner doesn't really have any liabilities. So particularly on access land, isn't it? That yeah. decreases, decreases the landowner's it. so liability. It's only if it's on access land, the landowner will only have responsibility over man-made structures. Okay, that's So cool. things like stiles and fences yeah. going towards yeah. it. If, if, if the stile breaks and you trip over, then that yeah. would be the landowner. Let's not get too distracted yeah. by liabilities. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very boring podcast. You're working on the green guide as well. Um, there's been a few green guides, aren't there? I'm trying to think now. There's been a lot of the years. There's a white guide. There's a green guide. There's yeah. a guide for challenge events, isn't there? There's a few of those around. Yeah. So, so what's going on with that? So, th this is so it's a green guide to the uplands, which we made um, originally, I think, in 2009. Yeah. Um, so, a big part of it is updating that original one. The BMC at the moment is going through a big, big rebranding. We're trying oh. to bring everything in together, wow. so that if you see something that's from the BMC, it should all look relatively similar. Yep. Um, so this guide is sort of it's almost been used as a little bit of a flagship model as to what everything else should yep. we'll eventually look into so we, we produce a huge amount of leaflets um and it's it's really the, this green guide to the uplands is probably mostly aimed at sort of made, probably people that are mountain leaders lonely that probably a slightly higher level of understanding okay. of the, and it's there as a resource for you to, yep. to be able to look at the, the big issues and and I guess almost what they, those sort of answers we, we talked yeah. about before is what what do you do if you see a sign that says don't access here what should I do with my group and how should I talk about this yeah. um, but it also sort of points out a few things like um, things like cairns in the uplands it's, it's got oh, our yeah. Yeah. It, it's got our actual sort of policy thinking behind that that yeah. we're not pro cairns but we 
there's there's a place for for well there's obviously a place for historic yeah, ones yeah um but building cans as a navigational feature and things like that yep. it sort of highlights a few issues like that i we're, we're getting to a point in asia now where we're sort of thinking about all the public transport how we get to venues mm. how we can be greener about we all we all claim to be very pro environmentally friendly and stuff like that but we still all drive to Craig's. We if do. I, if, if, yeah. I dri if I drive up the, the Lamberis Pass and it's all wet, then I drive around to the Ogwen Valley to go yep. and see if it's drier. And from an environmental point of view, that's not great yep. to do that, but it's, we it's all do. It's difficult, isn't it? I don't know how many sport climbing holidays people go on to Spain and things, but mm. it's it's all something that I think as a, as a community we need to think a bit more about at the moment, how many trips abroad we do each year. Yeah, and that ice has gone from... Can I run? Yeah, that's terrible, isn't that? You mentioned Eben there a couple of times. Um, so, well, yeah, I'll ask you who, who's Eben and what, what does he do? Uh, so, Eben Mudvermuse, so he's originally from North Wales, but he's my counterpart in now in South Wales. Um, he's the BMC's campaigns and policies officer uh -huh. for Wales, so he spends a huge amount of his time, um, more looking at the bigger strategy pictures the policies that go into the senate yeah. and and now that we've got this well we've had the senate in wales for for a few years now and with the devolved powers we have more we have another opportunity to we don't always have to be aligned with what's going on in westminster um and so he can lobby to local sm members um and sorry ms members and um look at the the sort of the bigger picture the right to roams looking at the um, the new agricultural reform yeah. bills, that kind of stuff, and what we want to see on a bigger scale. But it's, it's, his work is also looking at how we align that with other organisations like the Ramblers. Do yeah. we do we have? We've we've all got lots of little voices, and when you actually look at the bigger picture of all of these little organisations across Wales, actually most of us are fairly aligned in what we, mm. we want in some way or another. So if we can all sort Definitely. of come to, to, some together, and and that's Evan Evans. Part of Evans' role, and uh, I think he's absolutely. So we have voices in government, and they are working yeah. together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be too nice to Evan, <laughs> but I think he <laughs> does an absolutely brilliant job. Yeah, and yeah. the work he does, I, I couldn't do it. The, the, his ways of, his networking skills, and his way of talking to the the, the people in Senev is is absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. And, and his yeah. and his Welsh is way better than mine as well, which is, <laughs> helps with the, the more political conversations going on. I think. Um, yeah, um, your Welsh is better than mine. I know that for a fact. Uh, I thought you were fluent. <laughs> well, I, 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 I am, but it's when, when it comes to talking about politics, and yeah, fluency sometimes mutates a bit. Gosh, yeah. I can, I can talk to a, a, an upset landowner, but yeah, yeah, sometimes talking to a member of Senate about policy choices and changes in governments yeah. is, it's not always the Welsh that you get do taught. You, do you have to talk to upset landowners very often? Yeah, relatively often. Oh dear. What sort um, of things upset them? Gates and dogs, or um, dogs? Quite often comes up as a, as an issue. Um, we the nice thing in quite a lot of places is that we climbers do get seen to be quite different to dog walkers. Good, um, good, good, which is yeah. quite not that which, dog walkers are bad people. No, no, no. <laughs> Most of them are very nice. <laughs> but 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 it at least means that I don't have to fight on behalf of everybody's yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, corners. Um, Actually, one of the most interesting ones I've had recently was I got, uh, and it made me open to my, my eyes a little bit, as how landowners see climbers, because 
it was about um, landowners concerned that uh, climbers were taking um, peregrine e eggs off a cliff. And I, I went down to talk to him and one of my first sort of points of discussion was, well, normally climbers are very, we're very environmentally conscious. We, we, we've got this, this yeah. regional access database that tells us about nesting birds. So we shouldn't be climbing crags when they're nesting birds. And we've, we try and put as much educational stuff about peregrines yeah. being protected and not to disturb them. And, and he came back to me and said, well, look, I've seen people climbing. They've got, um, they've got ropes on, they've got harnesses, helmets. And, and that's when it clicked to me, though, is that he's not seeing the difference between a recreational climber going there. He has seen somebody with a harness and helmet and a rope. That is a climber to him. Yeah, he's he's not thinking about it from a are they there for fun or what are they doing? And yep. it made me suddenly realise that that I've got it from my point of view in work. I have to be able to see the landowner's perspective like that as well. Yeah, it's really interesting that. Um, and since that 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 was uh, the start of this year, and I've definitely started approaching. How I talk to landowners very differently, and uh, looking yeah. at their concerns differently, and how they view us, yeah. because it's not as simple as what we think it is. We think ourselves as being climbers and hillwalkers, and that's that's it. We we yeah. go there for our recreational purposes. We, um, yeah, I mean it's the same in the walking. If you think of Arwidva, then um, you know a lot of the people on Arwidva we wouldn't say are. Uh, Bonafide hillwalkers, you know, they are they are tourists who are, who are out for a walk, and that's yeah. great. But uh, yeah, it's difficult. There's, a, though, isn't there's it? a difference in the background and where people yeah. are coming from. So interesting. But we are all treated the same. Yeah. So that's where the BMC is a really important voice, isn't it? And, and the Ramblers to some degree as well to say, you know, we are responsible countryside users. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think that's that's very helpful from. I can go there and I can tell him, look, if you get problems, then yeah. I can I can be an advocate to, to help you send messages yeah, out. Yeah. But and even within the climbing community world, though, we're, we're a representative body. Yeah. Not everybody's a member. So I can't tell every single climber and hill walker to, to... I mean, parking's normally one of the big issues that comes up with things yeah. is we want you to park over here. I, I can tell our members that yeah. and we can put a couple of signs up. But actually, we have no jurisdiction or anything like that i can't tell anybody actually i mean i can i can give guidance i can suggest things yeah but i can't tell anybody off it's i can't the quirk can't, of the bmc though i can't right, go i really? can't go and get anybody, yeah. anybody a fine or anything like that but what i don't want to do is i don't want to see climbers being um being sort of convicted for disturbing wildlife yeah, yeah. um which which has happened so it's um it, it's my, I guess I see it's my responsibility to get as many of those messages out as possible yeah. and to use our network so that that doesn't happen, both from the climber's point of view but also from nature's point of view. Definitely. Well. It's interesting, isn't it? People don't know what climbers are. Should do. That's another challenge, really, isn't it? So you've got a few challenges, haven't you? Right, only a few. <laughs> <laughs> what are the biggest challenges? I'd say one of the biggest challenges is the... Is the changing scene of where climbers are coming from and how oh, yeah. are coming from? Yeah. I think if we looked 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if you you'd agree on this, but most people came maybe from walking, scrambling, and got into climbing. They did yeah. Or maybe yeah. came from a mountaineering club yeah. background. Now, I'd say, I mean, this is purely me 
guessing, yeah, yeah. but most people will be coming from an indoor gym setting. Yeah. You maybe go to an indoor climbing wall, you see it as a great, you've seen it on social yeah. media, think, oh, that's a, something different to do rather than yeah. going to the yeah. gym. You suddenly get into maybe indoor bouldering, indoor climbing first, yeah. and then maybe somewhere down the line you decide you're going to come outside. But the you may not have been through the same education as you would have done if you'd come through the other pathway, maybe the more historic pathway, I guess mm. maybe. And so climbers and hillwalkers are now coming from maybe a slightly different way into the outdoors, which is fantastic to see. It's a yeah, growing yeah, sport. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal how many new climbers and new hill walkers are coming to enjoy the outdoors and that's yeah. absolutely what we want to see but um turning up at the crag with with a big stereo and things like that but if but if you come from the indoor climbing world mm. and you've got pumping music in the background mm. when you're cl climbing in one of the local climbing walls that's what you're used that's to and that's what you think and, and unless you've been told otherwise how are you supposed to know mm, that that's, that's not quite right and so the but the green guide you said is aimed more at the sort of leaders and instructors this is where do we need to promote the countryside code a bit more is it is well, that we've, we've got thing, a series or? called respect the rock which is okay. sort of coming out uh, and we've uh, it's respect the rock and respect the wild and we've we've chosen different climbing venues across the country and part of it is about local ethics and etiquette yeah. but it's also the bigger sort of picture about okay. it as well so we it's we've we've done a few now in wales because we only originally had one in wales so i i've put quite a lot of effort into getting some welsh ones out and we've got respect um south wales sandstone and we've got respect the gower um coming out hopefully in the next six months um and so those will be looking at very individual st stuff about um, how to climb on sandstone because we don't mm -hmm. want people climbing on it just after it's rained because mm. it, it becomes very and that's in the valleys as well that's, that's in the valleys yeah. yeah um but it also looks at the bigger stuff as well about not leaving litter at crags yep. to try and leave and and I'm trying to promote the message as much as possible we sort of say the thing no leave no trace but actually what we really want is for people to leave a better trace almost yeah. if you turn yeah. up a crag and there is a bit of litter there or somebody's left some kit around or left chalk all over the crag then yep. to leave it better than you found it and then yep. suddenly hopefully we'll end up with a, a, a better message going out but all of those films as well have got things about your your impact about how, yeah. you, how other people perceive you whether you've got music on thinking about other mm -hmm. users yeah. we, we bought one out last year on, on the on the orm um on pangogath and um that area is used by everybody there's you've got everybody from going on their little summer holidays on a bus trip yep. to people cycling running around you've got bird watchers you've got seal watchers and you've got climbers there so mm -hmm. if you if you're stood at the bottom of a crag and you've got a load of music on and you've got litter all over the place and your climbing kits all over it's it's but that perception that you then have to everybody else yeah it's, that's right and we, we want plant climbers to have a good name and and you, you can get to these uh target audiences through the climbing walls yeah yeah, that's great and that's what we're, we we want to have closer yeah. links yeah. with with climbing walls and for for climbing walls as well to also be promoting those messages yeah. and yeah. we're trying to get more and more climbing walls in most of my efforts being in the welsh climbing walls but to get involved with local crag cleanups and yeah. to come out and if you've got members who are thinking of doing indoor to outdoor sort of workshops to come and be involved in those That'd things so they, they they get some ownership and some they feel some personal responsibility of the crags is it on the other hand you work on the bmc you work for climbers and hill walkers in one of the best places in the world yeah sounds like a dream job but what you know is it are there aspects of it 
the, the dream come true? Is it, is it, is it uh, brilliant at times? It's fantastic at times, and I, I like it's, it gives me a great opportunity to see lots of people. I get to have fantastic conversations with people. I, I feel like I'm in a job where I can make a difference. That's good. Um, and I sort of get to the point where I think people sort of respect a little bit of my opinion and yeah. what, I can, what I can say, which is great. Um, there's certainly elements of, I mean, I guess a bit more of my past job that I do miss instructing. Yeah. Because I guess I was the person that was out on the ground then trying to give those messages to the yeah. public. Now I'm sort of a little bit sort of give, telling the people on the ground what we'd like them to say. Yeah. But, and I do miss working with groups. But you are doing that with mountaineers, mountaineering instructors, aren't you? I yeah. know you did something recently. Just tell us about that. Um, yeah, so that was the um, update provider workshops that Mountain yeah. Training England were running. So we ran a workshop at Plaza Brennan, uh, the National Mountain Centre, um, and that was to update providers on, um, on I'm guessing a huge range of things that yeah. um, um, providers deliver. Um, and part of my delivery there was how we train and assess access mm -hmm. issues. Um, this was the first time I'd, I'd ever run anything like that, and. Um, I, I, the, the most intimidating thing was I think nearly everybody in the room had either trained or assessed <laughs> me at some point or I'd, I'd looked up to at some point as being, wow, okay, there's all these guides and MCIs and everybody sat in this room and I'm stood up in front of them now telling them how to do their jobs, which That's is hilarious. slightly intimidating, but yeah. also from like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is quite cool now, I guess, almost. Uh, Definitely, so yeah. I can, I can stand here and... And I think people have listened to me as well, which was definitely was nice. yeah. Um, so yeah, it definitely feels like almost. A, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'd like to think I'm not too old yet, but it feels like a culmination of 15 years of different Absolutely. careers and work to get to this point. To, to you're in your prime, Tom. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> listen to the old farts with grey hair. Get on with it. Um, we should just mention the BMC. I know this. You've got changes at the BMC. What what's happening at the moment? Bigger picture. Yeah, I mean it's been a very interesting year, and it's been it's been hard at times with it. We were, we were all uh, well, certainly the access team was um, threatened with various redundancies at the start of mm. the year. Um, fortunately, fortunately, there hasn't been a huge amount of change. Unfortunately, we we lost Inigo, who was on a um, fixed term position. Um, but we've also had to see the access team has grown hugely in the last few years. Um, we've now got four or five full-time oh, really? staff members. I mean, we've got myself and Eben, who Eben was only brought up to full-time in April last year, yeah. so he was on, I think, uh, 0.6 or 0.8 contracts now full-time. Great. We've got myself full-time, yeah. and I've got Kath uh, Flickcroft, who's, or should I say Dr. Kath Flickcroft, yeah. who's, who's leading the, the sort of the access team at the moment. Um, she's full-time. John Fullwood. Uh, and we've got Phil Hargreaves, who's, whose job is now funded by the Land and Property Trust as well. So he, his job is to look after the, 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 the land uh, uh, yeah. management yep. side of things we've yep. got. Um, so we've actually got a big access team, and I say we've got a huge amount of volunteers across the country. So yeah. it has it has been sort of turbulent in in the last yeah. year, but I think yeah. we're sort of come hopefully coming out the other side of that. Um, we're currently looking for a new CEO. Um, and I think that they should be interviewing fairly soon. Um, That's great. So I think uh, I think the the um, applications closed. I think yesterday, and I think we've had forty applica wow, applications, brilliant. which is pretty huge. Brilliant. That's great. We've and something good. 
But it, but it's such a complicated sport to look after. It's not like the other national governing bodies. Look yeah. At, like, swim whales or it's a broad swimming church, or something like that. You've, you've got everything from people who are going alpine climbing and yeah. winter climbing to indoor bouldering yeah. to GB competitions yeah. going off to the Olympics. Oh. With all the conservation That's side of right. stuff that the Axis team does as well. I mean, it, it's mm. a huge monster and it's very different. If, you, if you're coming in as a CEO from other organisations, I can yeah. imagine you're trying, just initially trying to grapple your head around the whole system is will take you a year or two and it's also well just need to emphasize that point about the volunteers as well and people listening can volunteer as well yeah. can't it's really easy to go to the area bmc meetings yeah. where they live isn't it and they're on the website and yeah we, we i think it's going to be fantastic when we get a new website up because i think our current website is sometimes hard to navigate um but yeah the all of the events will be on and i think Having your voice in one of the local area meetings is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, it's one of the ways that I can direct how my work goes. So yeah. if you're really passionate about something, if you've got your local crag, if it's had a bit of fly tipping or you yeah. think it could do with a clear up, then we've we've got funding, we've got extra That's ways great. of getting volunteers out there. Um, we've had some brilliant crag cleanups this year. We just had one last weekend at a little crag called Mice Haven in northeast oh, Wales. Yeah, yeah. And we had members from Cheshire and Cloyd Mountaineering Club and a couple of other people turning up to Great. take Cotoniaster off the crag and give it a good clean-up. Yep. Um, we took some fly-tipped tyres from the Great Orm oh, back wow. in May, which was brilliant. Gosh. Um, they'd been there for, I think, something like 15 years, but oh, really? just took a, a few keen climbers and some ropes access people, some half a day and we removed them all oh, with help with the council brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and, and we I think we quite often take for granted the access we have for, for climbing crags yeah, so if we can give yeah. something back and say look we really appreciate the fact that we can climb in all these beautiful places we can be seen doing that so if, if you're yeah if you're a local keen climber or walker and if there's Paths get, that need fixing. Get involved. Clearing, then yeah, get involved. Get so we, we are coming towards the end of our time now. Um, just want to look ahead a bit, really. I know you're still, you know, 18 months on, but have you got any visions, you know, where you want to go? What's What are you looking forward to achieving? I think some to finishing off some of the jobs I've got going sometimes would be quite <laughs> nice to do. Um, yeah. One thing, I'd, I mean, just on that last subject, I think we'll be building up the, the power that we have with volunteers to keep doing really good advocacy work. Um, I mentioned the winter monitoring program um, being installed, but actually when I was installing it, we were up in sort of the upper Glasslin bowl below Clogwinder Gardeneth. Oh, yeah. And it's on a Withva, the highest mountain in Wales, but it's possibly the worst place I've ever seen for, for litter. Oh, really? Because it's in the lee of the, the yes, summit. Of course. We've got three big gullies up there from the Trinities. Yeah. And you just look into it and it's full. Is and right? one of the tasks I'd love to do next next year would be to organise a big volunteer day to yeah. do a big clear up of all of that. Oh yeah, that. The Rory National yeah. Park have just launched their plastic free with that. Yeah. And I, I I can't think they can say that at all until we do this clear up. That'd so be a fantastic project. I would love to get that off the ground. It'll be a logistical nightmare. I know it will be, but if we can pull we it can off, do that. it would be brilliant. Yeah. Um. So that's one of the the big tasks, like the on the ground things I'd like to do next yeah. year. I think in in general terms, I think just keep trying to come up with creative ideas, I think, and how we get our messages out. And like I said at the start, if anybody out there has, has good ideas on how to, to get it out, and 
we are getting we, we're getting much better and trying to get onto sort of general news channels getting onto itv bbc yeah essentially getting out on programs like country farms so that we, we, we are hitting a bigger audience of what people want to see us and i and i think we need to keep pushing the access message out there and not get too distracted away from i mean all the stuff that the bmc does is really important but i think we need to remember that that's still we're a membership organization and what a lot of our members want to see is the advoc access advocacy yeah. and we're in a day and age now where um environment wildlife climate emergency is all on top of the pages quite often at the time and i think we need to we need to keep moving with that and be shown to be a um a, a, yeah a leader in in that kind yeah. of yeah, work and showing leaders. good responsibility yeah. and and it's good people are getting out and climbing and walking and using yeah. the countryside isn't it they don't they won't look after what they don't know about exactly and i think if if you appreciate the environment you're in you're more likely to do uh, more work with That's it brilliant. so tom i'm going to finish there's anything else before we finish you i think uh, we've covered everything no i don't think so i feel like i've Thank had my, my life fully really analyzed <laughs> uh tom carrick bmc access and conservation officer for Cymru. Thank you for listening, folks. That was a Outdoor Lives podcast brought to you by mycrane.co.uk. You can listen to it ad-free on my Patreon channel. That's patreon.com forward slash mycrane. And if you listen through Patreon, you also get the each episode as it's released. Thank you for listening. Bye now.